Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name's Mike Rankin. Good to be with you again. James Fox also alongside us. We just had an interview with Bill Mitchell of Baseball America recapping the White Sox top 30 list. Of course, go to BaseballAmerica.com, subscribe to their newsletter, and you'll be able to get all 30 teams, top 30 prospects as their 2022 newsletter was sent out. Today, we are focusing on the international side of things, and who better than Ben Badler to talk about it from Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Badler. Ben, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks so much for joining the Future Sox podcast. I mean, you're our guy. So again, thanks so much for taking the time and welcome back. Yeah, thanks, sir, for having me on, guys. I didn't know you were going to have Bill on ahead of me, so uh, it's a try, I'll try not to drop your ratings too far after uh, <laughs> after that episode, trying to, trying to follow Bill. Yeah, Bill was awesome. He he provided a lot of insight on the top 30 and some of the, you know, big league closer to ready prospects. But what we're going to focus on here, Ben, is obviously those who are a couple of years away and maybe even the Yolki Cespedes of the world in the White Sox system ready to, to really burst onto the scene here. But let's first start with the latest international signing class. The two prizes that the White Sox landed this year kind of differ um on the spectrum in terms of age, Eric Hernandez, very young compared to Oscar Colas, who's on this list uh, as one of the top international prospects in this class. Colas, of course, older, uh, more experienced professionally, although over the last couple of years hasn't really seen actual live competition based on where he stood in, in the international signing process. So, Ben, if you could explain to the listeners what the White Sox got in Oscar Colas and maybe even to why it took a little longer than normal to see him sign with the Chicago White Sox as among the the latest international signing class. Yeah, I think it's it's something we're seeing just more and more frequently with Cuban players because with with them coming out and then waiting an extra year to sign because the reality of how the international signing process works now is that you, you have players who are reaching you know agreements or, or commitments to sign with a club often multiple years in advance of when they're eligible to sign so teams have a bonus pool and it's hard capped and you're also no longer allowed to trade that bonus pool space anymore uh, so there's very limited flexibility for what you can do as a club uh, with your pool money, and teams have oftentimes committed that pool money, uh, if if not all of it, then almost all of it, uh, often you know within you know more than a year in advance of the signing date, which also got delayed from you know we no longer have July 2nd; it's now January 15th uh, since 2020. That got moved back during the pandemic. So these, you know, Cuban players will come out of Cuba because they, you know, they can't sign with a major league club until they leave Cuba and, you know, establish residency in, in another country. So it's not like you can go as a club, get a commitment from a, a you know, a 14 or a 15 year old Cuban player the way the teams do in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela. So a lot of times these Cuban players like Oscar Colas or, you know, Dion Jorge is, you know, a big example uh, in this signing class. Also shortstop with the Rockies from Cuba, uh, Yiddy Cape, the previous signing class, a shortstop from Cuba uh, with the Marlins. And they'll come out and all right, well, there's 
they they want a lot of money and, and teams are willing to give them a lot of money, but they don't have that money available in their bonus pool right away. So they'll say, okay, well, will you sign with us the following signing period? So the player ends up, you know, waiting an extra year or with signing period moved back an extra year and a half now uh, to to actually sign with a club, which which is really unfortunate for especially for the Cuban players, because, you know, like in Colas's case, he's what he's 20, he's 23, he's turning 24 in September. These are the guys where it's like, geez, like we, we want him to get out and play <laughs> right away. It's it's not a, the same as a 16 year old player from the Dominican Republic in Venezuela, where you have this, all right, very long, well, you know, with certain exceptions, Juan Soto, Vladi Jr., et cetera, Wander Franco, um, you know, it's much longer timeline for them. But um, yeah, so, you know, we're seeing more and more Cuban players take this route to wait a little bit of extra time to sign when more bonus pool money becomes available to them. And and with Colos, you're getting a, a big physical power hitting uh, corner outfielder from from the left side. Uh, you know, like you said, you, you're like you alluded to. I, th- I think he has the you know professional experience. Certainly, isn't some in in Japan. And in addition to what he did in Cuba, so there's some track record there. I mean, he's you know he's pitched a little bit as well. There's there's some arm strength there. If you know to to go out to right field, um, you know he's gonna have to keep his body in check. He, he did obviously a lot better job with that once he was training in in the Dominican Republic so that's something he's going to have to carry over but um yeah the 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 draw is big big power from from the left side and you know unfortunately too like you said there's also been a you know a, a longer layoff from you know true competitive baseball for him i mean i'm you know he's taking live ABs in the Dominican Republic right before he signed. But also a lot of the pitching he's facing there is not, you know, not, not his peers, not 22 year olds who have, you know, high A and double A, triple A experience, the kind of guys he, you know, should be seeing at the level he's probably ready to compete at. It's, it's a lot of amateur pitching in the Dominican Republic. It's, it's just not the same. So um, it's harder to have, the same level of conviction in the pure hitting ability uh, right now, not not just for him, but but for pretty much any player we we would talk about in in this class, just because the the players are not followed by all twenty or by all you know thirty clubs in a competitive scouting uh, environment the way that you would have for players in the draft. But um, you know, I don't think there's any doubt about the the type of power uh, and power upside that, that he has to from the left side of the plate. Yeah, Ben, and then going to, you know, Eric Hernandez a little bit. I know you didn't do like a true ranking of players over at Baseball America for obvious reasons, you know, the last right. couple of years. But, you know, what are the White Sox getting in him? It's a million-dollar bonus, something they typically, like, haven't done in a while. I think the last time they gave a million dollars to a Dominican teenager was, like, Jose Guerrero you know, was like the nephew of Vlad Guerrero years ago. And, you know, before that it was Franklin Reyes. And then before that it was Adolfo. So they don't do it often. So this was a little surprising to see this, but I guess exciting nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, they love their bloodlines guys too, but yeah, I mean, and, and Hernandez is unusual an unusual signing too, I think for the White Sox, because if 
I mean, you just alluded to some of those types of players that they've gone for. It's it's historically been big power bats, um, big power bats, and that's that's not really Hernandez. Um, it, he's more if if you really like him, you're really buying in on on the pure hitting ability, uh, the back control. Um, it's really more of like a line drive, gap to gap type hitter. Now this, you know, could quickly look out of date because, you know, when you're seeing a, a player when he's 15, 16, uh, he, you know, just turned 17, I think, uh, well, he didn't sign on January 15th, but that was his, his birthday. Um, you know, when you're talking about kids that, that young, all of a sudden they, you know, pack on 20, 30 pounds and the ball starts flying off their, their bat, uh, with a lot more ferocity. So that could certainly change. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, if, if you're really buying into him, it's you're buying into the, the bat and, and the back control uh, and the ability to hit in games. I don't think there's other, you know, real loud tools there. I mean, the speed, the arm strength is not going to, you know, blow you away in, in either of those tools or, uh, or the power either, at least for, for right now. So if you're, uh, you know, a big believer in Eric Hernandez, I think you're, you're buying into the bat and his ability to, to perform in games. They also still have like over a million dollars in bonus pool space available. And it's, you know, it's unusual, but the White Sox do this stuff sometimes because they're just really weird in this marketplace. Do you think it's likely that they have agreements with others that haven't been announced? Or is this like a potential red flag that they have money? Uh, you know, it, I mean, it's possible they did. They, you know, certainly like you see the teams with their signing photos um, that, that that I'm posting on January 15th. And you see some teams are signing like 30 players on January 15th right away uh you didn't get that obviously with the white Sox. they sort of delayed their signings and, and teams do it for different reasons um i i think at this point they, they've probably already signed their their big signings but i i also think it makes sense where you know look like there's only so many true premium premium players in in latin america to to sign and, and to use your bonus pool money on, especially again, given the speed of the international signing process. And when you're looking at and, and evaluating and making decisions on these players. So I, I think it makes sense in some cases, in certain instances to actually keep some bonus pool money back in reserve and say, look, every year there's always somebody who pops up later on in the process, right? Frequently it's a, a Cuban player who comes out later on and you're like, Ooh, all right. <laughs> this guy is, is pretty good, but uh, we already used all our bonus pool money. So we can't sign him, or maybe we have to try to convince him again to wait for another signing period. But if you're a team, that's one of the few teams that actually still has bonus pool money available. So, all right, you're in a competitive advantage there because you actually have some money to spend on that player, or it could be a Dominican or, or a Venezuelan player who just pops up later. Right. And by later, I mean, you know, at 17 years old, it's <laughs> not like a, you know, an old player. It, it, it is, I guess, historically in, in Latin America for amateur signings, but this is like a high school junior, right? That's not, certainly not an, an older player. Um, and we see it with, 
with pitchers in, in particular where, all right, all of a sudden guy goes, you know, there's a whole bundle of guys that are 87, 91. And then one of those 87 to 91 guys really comes on and all right, now he's throwing, you know, 95 or 96 or 97 and is a lot more interesting, especially at, at 17 years old. So um, I think there's, there's definitely some value to having some extra bonus pool money later on in the process to um, you know, to be able to maneuver later on when, when certain guys might pop up later on in the process. So Ben, let's, let's take you to another Cuban player that the White Sox invested in a couple of seasons ago, and that's Norhe Vera. And Vera's going to turn 22 in June this year. And you mentioned establishing visa. I mean, that was part of the problem in which, you know, Vera stayed in the Dominican uh, across 2021 because of a penalty that would have occurred had he come stateside last year based on some of the uh, the residency issues that you mentioned or at least alluded to a little bit earlier. So I thought that was fascinating. And I wonder how much of that impacted his development or if that was just sort of a minor detail in the sense that this is a young high ceiling pitcher. The White Sox now finally have a part of their system uh, and they were going to take it easy. I, you know, we can safely assume that they were going to take it easy on him anyway last season, but how much of that was an impact on his performance in 2021 and where he stands currently as a professional uh, and just getting a sense of your evaluation of what Norhe Vera was last year and what he can become. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's unfortunate that he was in the Dominican Summer League, clearly his talent level is not, uh, you know, commensurate with a DSL player. So I'm not surprised that he went out and just completely annihilated hitters in in that league. So I wouldn't read too much into just the numbers that he put up there. But at the same time, it's, you know, if I'd rather have a pitcher, you know, who's, who's too advanced for that league get stuck there rather than a hitter because with a hitter, you know, he's... He, he has to face the pitchers that he's facing and it's not great for his development. Whereas with a pitcher, all right, well, you can still, you can still work on your breaking ball. You can still work on your changeup. I mean, almost independent of who the hitter is that you're facing. Now, obviously you want to get a more, uh, you know, a more appropriate test uh, with some more advanced hitters. If you're, if you're Norhe Vera and, and you're the White Sox, but you you still have to be excited with the development of of his stuff in particular. I mean, he's his velocity jumped up uh, a couple ticks, so we're you know getting reports of him up to ninety nine, even maybe a hundred miles an hour. Um, you know, good strides too with the um, you know the breaking ball. So it's yeah, it's it's pretty pretty exciting stuff from him. It's it's just yeah, like you like you said, you you wish you could have seen him do it against hitters who were more of a more of an appropriate match for for his talent level. So it does seem like he's going to be stateside I would think Winston Salem, you know, another guy that signed with him last year Yoelki Cespedes obviously. Anything about his debut I guess surprise you positively or negatively? Um Yeah, I mean he was I mean he was pretty solid um right away. I mean like you said the Cuban players in particular are in this like unusual spot and, and having this layoff from true competitive baseball and, and you're adjusting to a new country and, and a new culture and you, you know, you don't have 
the same experience that a Dominican or a Venezuelan player typically goes through coming through the Dominican summer league first and, and all that. Um, and, and obviously a lot of attention on him right away uh, in particular, I'm sure because of the, the last name, but he, I, I typically try to give Cuban players for that reason uh, a little bit of extra leeway. And as far as what they do in their, their pro debut, especially at first, I mean, I, Yohan Moncada is actually a, a great example of that where there was tremendous hype over him and he came out and his, I mean, it was like his first maybe month, the first couple months of the year uh, of his career. He he was not that great. And people were talking, oh, he's so overhyped and overrated. And then, you know, within, I think, a couple years, he was one of the top two prospects in, in baseball. And he was showing everybody, um, you know, what he was really capable of of doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in Cespedes' case, I mean, certainly I think the, the power uh, is the carrying tool for uh, for him, it's, you know, kind of surprising. He's not power. It's, it's not that, you know, not that big of a guy, uh, but there's, there's good bat speed. It's, it's a, you know, aggressive swing, certainly sometimes too aggressive. So uh, that's something he's going to have to rein in as far as the selectivity and, and making better decisions at the plate. But um, yeah, just like a, nothing incredible about, the, the debut, but just like a nice solid season for him as, as long as I think your, um, you know, your expectations were not for him to, you know, be his brother or anything like that. Yeah, that's fair. And Yolki is an example of, of an older prospect, especially on the international side that the White Sox are looking to develop and hopefully takes that next step. And we'll see him at the big leagues, maybe at some point late this year or early next year. But when we look at the White Sox roster currently, now I'm not talking about realistic opening day option, but the White Sox have a hole at second base currently. And you know, once the CBA hopefully gets figured out and the White Sox have their run at free agency, this will become more clear. But the White Sox have a you know, a little bit of depth internally related to middle infielders. And one of those is Yolbert Sanchez. Now missing out on the 2020 season, I think is a big deal, but Yolbert's 24 and he made it as high as double a last year and he hit. So when we first learned about Yolbert Sanchez, we knew that he could play defense pretty well, but we saw him do okay at the plate as well last year. What were your impressions of Yolbert Sanchez? And is this somebody who can be a major league contributor as early as this year? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like you said, he's turning 25 this year uh, before opening day, whenever that <laughs> happens to uh, come this year. So, all right, well, he's pretty much coming right into his prime years right now. So, I, you know, I, I, but at the same time, it's, it's tough to hold him being 24 and, and starting the year in, in high A against him just because, you know, you can only come out of Cuba when, when you, you can only sign up for your Cuban player once you come out and, you know, his first year in the DSL and then no season in 2020. So this was really 20, the 2021 season was really his first full season um, to play. And, and like you said, he, he had a solid year uh, for himself. I don't see him as an everyday type of guy. Um, you know, maybe he, he fits there, uh, for like a, a rebuilding type of club, but I don't think that's what the, the White Sox are, are looking for. Um, but he did, I think he did, you know, he did hit probably better than 
that I would have expected. Not a lot of not a lot of impact there, but he's also not gonna strike out much either. He's gonna put the ball in play. Um, you know, you can see it in in the batting average, and it's it's not gonna be big big power numbers ever. But um, yeah, I mean, it's he's somebody I, I think like you like you said. I think he probably will make his major league debut at at some point this year. Um, I don't know he's if again if he's somebody I see as an everyday guy, but he, I think there's probably some type of role uh, for him, and I, I think he probably does get there by the end of the year this year. So you mentioned it earlier, and something that we always talk about in the international market is bloodlines, especially with the White Sox. You know, somebody that signed in the same year as Yolbert, and it was it was you know not that expensive. I think it was like two hundred k or something along those lines. Wilfred Veris. Um, he had a nice season in the AC, in the ACL. Now I guess I have to call it. Um, the the right. power <laughs> seems pretty real. He hit six homers. I guess some of the concern is that, you know, if he if he has to move from third to first, he's really gonna have to hit. But I, you know, I was encouraged by you know the little bit that we saw in Arizona. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, it's you know there's certainly the raw power is there, and it was a nice debut for him I, I still see him as more of a kind of a long shot wait to see what happens until he gets to the upper levels and, and gets tested against better pitching there um as, as far as what the you know the approach and then some of the swing and miss looks like there and, and they're also like you like you said too there's you know there's some risk it's more more first base than third base which puts um you know an even higher offensive bar that he's gonna that he's going to have to clear. So um, to me, he's he's more of a, a long shot type of guy. I, I could be obviously a little too light on him, but um, yeah, certainly there's there's power and, and a nice year to um, to have coming out of that uh, the complex in Arizona this this past year. So another young guy that was at the complex, Ben. You were the first guy that we had on that tipped us off to Christian Mena when the White Sox signed him, and then obviously with 2020, he didn't pitch at all in the DSL. So, you know, he debuted in Arizona as well last year. You know, the stat, the stats weren't great in his first season, but that's fine. Like we had, we had pretty good reports, um, on his stuff there. Uh, he had a decent debut and he, uh, still, I guess some high hopes for him possibly. Yeah. He's still a good sleeper type arm, which I think is, you know, fair to call him a sleeper when his, you know, giving up almost a run in inning in the, in the complex league out there. But the, you know, the fastball is kind of, starting to creep up it's you know still sitting low 90s I think touching 95 but you know if there's something to really like there I, I think it's the his just his ability to spin a breaking ball uh in in particular um you know you, you hope a little bit more velocity can still come for him I, I think there's still some more strength projection in there for that to come but uh, he does have then an innate feel to spin the baseball so I, I think you can, you know, look at the fastball, you, you look at the breaking ball, and I think there's a chance for him to, um, you know, to miss a lot of bats with it. I mean, spin rates are are good on it, um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's like definitely still a a long-range projection with him. The, you know, the, the pitchability has a, a ways to go, obviously, but uh, I'll Definitely kind of an intriguing sleeper arm who I think could, uh, you know, ha- at least has a chance to uh, to pop at some point down the road. Yeah, Mana's always fun to bring up with you, Ben, because 
James and I all often reference when you talked about Mania for the first time. We said, okay, we're going to keep an eye on him. And uh, now he's starting to progress a little bit. We're seeing the frame fill out. And somebody else that I'd like to mention that is starting to fill out even more is Luis Mieses. Uh, 6'3", is what he's listed on his baseball reference page. This was, again, another prospect who suffered from no season in 2020. Now across a, a couple of single-A ball clubs, he totaled 15 homers this year. A little bit of power from the left side now. Is this a, an intriguing player that you think can translate into something more in 2022? Yeah, I mean, there's there's something there. I mean, he, he's got the – he has power. Um, he, he can definitely put a good charge into the ball. He's like six yeah, – like you said, he's 6'3". His arms are probably the, the arms of somebody who's even taller than that. Um, so I think that leads to some length in, in the swing, and there's some issues with him being able to make consistent contact and, and just the approach and being able to – stay balanced but there yeah there's good bat speed there's raw power there you know I'm I'm still pretty skeptical on him being able to put it all together just because of the approach and and swing length issues but obviously the the power is there and as he's gotten stronger and starting to fill out it's it's really um you know come on even more but there's definitely some uh, adjustments he's going to have to make with the both the swing and and the approach to tap into that more more consistently in games so two you know two guys that are super far away that only played in the dsl last year dario barrero was signed and then as well as victor quezada quezada was definitely the the bigger bonus guy the third baseman out of the dominican republic i think he got over 500k um you know decent numbers but it's the dsl like they've been aggressive i'm pretty sure those guys will both be in arizona and then you know we'll get a better look I guess, do you have a preference with those two guys? So, I mean, Quezada is interesting because he he has some of the best raw power of any hitter who was in the Dominican Summer League last year. I got to see him a, a decent amount when he was an amateur, and he was just a big, strong, I mean, beefy player. <laughs> I mean, he's just a really strong, really physical we always hit the ball really hard as an amateur player and he's just gotten even stronger. And, you know, we have reports of him as, you know, just as far as exit velos coming close to 110 miles an hour, um, which is pretty, pretty loud for a, a teenager in the Dominican summer league. You, you don't find many players who are getting past uh, or, or at least appro- even approaching uh, that, that 110 mark in that league. So, um, you know, certainly some some risk with the the body and defense that maybe he does end up going over to first base, and it's it's definitely a power over hit profile. But you don't have any questions, I don't think, when it comes to just the raw power uh, and the raw strength that that he has when he does connect and and does square it up. Uh, you know, Barrero a little more just uncertainty because of of last year, but. Uh, he's he's super interesting to me because he, you know, as an amateur, I think he was like six one, six two, and and now he's got to be at least like six foot five. I mean, he's he's just so uh, he, he's just changed physically so much over over the last uh, year, or, or I should say the last couple of years. So that's really changed his 
profile. Now, again, in his case, it probably adds some more risk that maybe he does end up at first base because he is so big. But uh, for for a big guy, it's it's a fairly or at least a relatively short swing. I mean, he's kind of a hitterish guy as an amateur. I mean, stood out for his his back control and, and his approach. Uh, but that was when he was six one, six two, and and now he's you know six five, six five plus. Um, so it's it's even more intriguing if you know he that back control does come as advertised, and now there's a lot more strength projection and and power upside that he has. So um, I'm you know I'm just hoping for a healthy season from him this year because he's he's still a really intriguing sleeper. Uh, to me, but obviously just need to, you know, see him, see him get on the field and then stay on the field there. That's great. Uh, reassuring stuff and awesome on Quezada. I'm looking forward to seeing his career develop and seeing what he can do stateside a little bit. I, I like exit velo coming from a big beefy guy. So I'm, I'm down for that. Ben, this is the last one I have for you. Really appreciate the time and your coverage, of course, for Baseball America. We are excited and optimistic about Jose Rodriguez. He was somebody in Kannapolis that among them were a joy to continue to follow um, all season on a team that was sort of difficult to follow in 2021. A lot of young players filled out that lineup, but Rodriguez kind of acted like somebody who could handle uh, that age or at least that level of competition at his age, I should say. What about his skill set suggests to you that this is a player who can translate as well as what you really like to see from him last year? And if there's concerns about his uh, his approach at the plate, I know he's a wild and free swinger. Is that something that can't be rectified and you just have to live with it? Uh, just curious your evaluation of what the White Sox have in Jose Rodriguez. Yeah, I've, I think I've been too light on Jose Rodriguez over over the last few years. I mean, he was not a not a big signing, uh, which you know doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But uh, you know, you, you can kind of see why because there's no. You know, there's no like one tool that jumps out as far as, you know, the speed or the arm or the power where you're going to be like, oh, all right, this is catching my, you know, catching your attention as a scout, as an amateur player um, and, and still to this day. But he he seems to just keep hitting <laughs> everywhere he goes. I mean, like you said, he, he does have an aggressive uh, approach, takes, you know, takes an aggressive swing, uh, but he does seem to just keep hitting. Uh, he doesn't strike out a ton so um yeah i mean he's he's a he's a pretty intriguing guy who just kind of keeps maybe sneaking up on on people and including myself I, I think he's just somebody i've i've been too low on uh and maybe up until this year or I, I i gotta give him some credit for for what he's done and, and getting to you know i guess double a technically by by the end of the year as a as a 20 year old and, and performing the way he did uh, really up through Winston Salem. So, um, you know, I, I'm not saying he he's necessarily going to be an, an everyday, you know, infielder and everyday guy. Uh, but I think there's some outcome for him where, uh, or, or some future for him where that could be uh, the outcome. Cause he, he does seem to have a, uh, you know, just a knack for being able to, put the ball in play, uh, even with that really, really aggressive approach that you were, you were talking about. Ben, last one for me before we let you go, you know, there's a lot of 
conflicting information, obviously. And, you know, we talked to Maria Torres of the athletic a couple of weeks ago, you know, just about everything that goes on in the, in the international market. And you're obviously very well versed in what goes on. And we've talked about the international draft for years, you know, there's, kind of collective bargaining talks going on, but there, there's really been nothing about an international draft and it doesn't seem like they're going to put one into this agreement whenever they have one. What are your, what are you thinking in regards to that? I, I think it probably just is not getting a lot of public attention right now, because as you can imagine on the hierarchy of importance for, for both sides right now, it's, it's uh, kind of lower on that totem pole. So, the in particular for the players because look the international players are not on 40 man rosters uh so it's it's not because these are international players that they don't care about them it's that they're non 40 man roster players right like we see in the draft the same way the those players rights get negotiated away by the players association uh where we get bonus pools and what essentially operate as hard caps in in the draft system and and we see it for minor league players too who are making you know eight grand nine grand a year uh if they're not on a 40-man roster so um it's not a priority for the union other than oh here we have this bargaining chip that we can use against the owners who who still do want to put in an international draft so i i actually think that there will be an international draft. Uh, I don't know that it would necessarily come in for the following signing period. So I don't know that we would see it come in for this next international signing class, but I think it's, I think it's possible we could see it come in there. Uh, and if not, then I think it would come in for, for the one after that. Um, obviously this is all subject to collective bargaining. So I, you know, <laughs> it's uh, there's a lot of bigger issues for these two sides to work out. But I mean, ultimately, the owners want an international draft. I don't think the Players Association really cares one way or the other what they do with the international players as far as free agency or a draft, because these are not union members. They don't really represent these players, the only thing I think they really care about is that we have a bargaining chip that we can use against the owners to get something in exchange uh, for our, our union members, whether that's a higher MLB minimum salary or, you know, an extra chef in the clubhouse or, or however they choose to negotiate and bargain. So I, I think ultimately, um, you know, they gave them a hard cap in in the international bonus pools last time, which was an enormous victory for the owner. So I think at this point, all right, well, it's already hard capped. So what do, what do the players um, or what are the, what, what are the union, what does the union really care, whether it's a draft or, um, or a hard capped signing system for international players. So um, just, just looking at the leverage and that the two sides have and what, you know, what they really care about i think ultimately the the owners will be able to successfully negotiate for an international draft and and i think the players will give them that but um like you said it's been something that 
I mean, geez, I, I think we have a quote from Sandy Alderson in Baseball America when he was at MLB saying, like, the the, the international draft is coming, it's inevitable, uh, something to that effect, and that was like 1992, right? <laughs> so this is this has been going on for for a long, long time. But I also think this is, I mean, I, I've been at Baseball America since 2007 and, and writing about international players since 2008. Um, so in, you know, those, you know, close to 15 years, I think this is the closest it's ever been to, uh, uh, to a reality when it comes to the international draft. Ben Badler of Baseball America. We were just spitballing all of these prospects, international guys from the White Sox, and you didn't blink. Thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining us again on the Future Sox podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. That's Ben Badler of Baseball America. Follow him on Twitter, at Ben Badler. You can follow us on Twitter, at Future Sox. Go to futuresox.com for all of our content. Again, for Ben Badler of Baseball America and James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We'll talk to you all next time.